Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by GetOutOfTheMess.com. If you want smart, simple legal coverage, contact Asha, your independent Legal Shield associate, so that you can ask her if this service is right for you. 678-355-8777. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old, rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to, think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am Paul Coliani, a personal empowerment coach, and this is the show where I read your questions and help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about in the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, today I want to talk about fear. Not just any kind of fear like uh, fear of heights or fear of um, loud noises, but fear of the responses that you want to have in the world. Fear of standing up for yourself. Fear of honoring yourself. Fear of uh, saying what you really want to say or doing what you really want to do. Now, this is a very big generalized topic and I won't be able to cover all aspects of it but I do want to cover one tiny little big aspect of it which is the fear that holds you back from doing or saying what you want to do which is what's behind the fear of saying or doing what you really want to say or do for example if you've listened to the show a while you've heard me talk about Uh, when my stepfather showed up at my mom's house after they'd been divorced for a while. And uh, he is an abusive alcoholic, and he definitely was not someone that uh, she wanted back in the house. Well, I happened to be there when he showed up, and he showed up at the front door, and I opened the door, and uh, there he was. And um, I'm laughing about it now because it was just a, a shocking moment. It was a surprise. I never expected to see him again. They got their divorce, he was on his way, she thought she was free of him forever, and here he is showing up at the door. And here I am in this uh, space of feeling comfortable that I would never see him again either. And I tell you what, whenever you've reached a new level in your own personal growth and development, something comes along and challenges it. So I had been doing the show, I don't know, six months, a year for you know, just a short period of time, talking about honoring personal boundaries, talking about standing up for yourself, talking about facing a challenge and doing or saying anything without fear of the consequences. I mean, I didn't say without fear, but you know, you do it anyway, even though there are consequences. This doesn't work for everything. I'm just saying in that moment, uh, when I saw him at the door, the first thing that happened to me was I immediately went into small child mode. Small child mode in this case was me bringing up the fears that I had when I was a child that I never let go of or I thought I let go of. And here I am, a 40-something-year-old adult facing this shorter, older, I mean, nothing wrong with these things, but 
uh, as this fully grown adult male facing um, a senior citizen, a person that was clearly stronger than physically in many ways, feeling like a little child that couldn't do anything. I felt helpless. And here he was standing right in front of me and I popped right back into child mode and the fears that I used to have came up. And those fears uh, really caused a lot of my people pleasing over the years. Like I did not want to incite or invoke any drunk dad behavior in him when I was a child. So I took this way of communicating with him, which is basically submitting and being as passive as possible. I took that into all my relationships. I took that into my jobs. I took that into my entire adult life. And he had this power over me that he didn't even try to, in my opinion, intentionally exert over me. He did not intentionally try to have power over me. He just had it because I never took my power. I felt like I never had it. I grew up with him since I was a baby. And so I knew him all my life as a threat. I had a lot of love for him and a lot of fear for him and a lot of hatred for him over the years. And all of these things I've had to work through and understand and figure out and heal. Uh, So here I am in my 40s and he shows up at the door and now I'm a small child again. And this is after years and years of uh, becoming certified as a coach, going through my own personal growth lessons and healing and studying and everything that I could possibly do to evolve myself emotionally and heal from my dysfunctional upbringing. And I figured, hey, I'm on top of the world now. I know I know all this stuff and I can face almost anything. Well, you, you may think you're ready to face something until you face the cause of why you are the way you are. So if your mom was a challenge when you were a kid and she disappears for a while and then she comes back in your life, she's probably going to be a challenge again. Hopefully a challenge in a new kind of way though. A challenge in a way that helps you access the new resources that you created for yourself over the years. Or not. If you didn't create any new resources, new tools, new ways of communicating, newfound power that you now have that you can face this kind of challenge. If you don't have any of that, then typically you will resort to that little kid. Or you'll run away, or you'll become super resistant and defensive, or you know something might come up that when you're not prepared with the tools that you need to face the person that uh, caused you these problems when you were younger, then you end up regressing back to a time that you were, maybe you felt powerless. And that's that feeling I got. I got that feeling of powerlessness when he showed up. And instantly I felt like, oh, here it is. Here's my opportunity to honor myself, not let him in, and tell him, you know, to go take a hike. (laughs) Except in a nice way because I'm usually uh, more diplomatic than that. But I had this conflict. The conflict was, I know what I know. I'm an adult male that can take care of himself. And I thought I'd let go of the attachment to the fear that I had around him. Yet here he is standing in front of me and... Now I feel like I just want to crawl back into my shell and uh, let him do whatever he wants like he always does. But in nanoseconds, I thought about everything I've learned and the big step back that I would have had to have taken if I had let him in, if I had let him get his way. 
Again, you know, I'm in my 40s and I had learned all this stuff and I'd healed from so much stuff. I even talked about some of the stuff I've healed through on my show back then. So to have this confrontation face to face was a true test of what I'd learned and what resources I had available to me and if I was actually going to choose those resources and uh, show up the way I wanted to show up. Because that's the big challenge. You probably have many resources and many tools at your disposal. Even just standing up for yourself as a resource. You probably have that in you. There's probably a time when you chose to stand up for yourself. And if you can remember that time, then you know you have it in you. The thought of standing up for yourself in front of certain people might scare you, might bring in the fear. That's where I was. I was afraid, even though I could stand up in front of the stranger at the airport that you know got too close to me and really made me uncomfortable. Even though I could stand up uh, at the, the potential fight that I saw starting at the pool, getting in between that and stopping that, I had fear, but I still stepped into that scary situation thinking that I could get hit, I could get hurt, but I decided to do it anyway. These are those moments that you do something, you take action before the fear kicks in, before you think of the consequences, before you decide that uh, you can't do it. I like to do that. I like to take action before I decide I can't take action. (laughs) And that's what I did that day when my stepfather showed up. I promise I'm going to finish this story. (laughs) My stepfather shows up and I had that tiny little window of time where I decided to stand up and say, sorry, you're not welcome here. Mom doesn't want to see you. And I stood there waiting for him to punch me. I mean, I literally believed that was going to happen. Because what I did was I acted before the fear of the consequences kicked in. I mean, the fear of being powerless in front of him, that was automatic. That just kicked right in. But then I thought, what would happen if I said or did anything that I wanted, regardless of the consequences? Because that's a great question to kind of interrupt the uh, fear that typically kicks in. If you ask yourself, what would happen if there were were no consequences? What would I do then? What would I do if I knew there were no consequences? That's a great way to interrupt your fear pattern. If fear usually kicks in in that moment, stop and ask yourself, what would happen if there were no consequences? What would I do then? What would I say? What would I do? Because when you interrupt yourself before the fear of the consequences kick in, the consequences of your behavior, then you'll figure out your truth. Your truth kicks in when you ask yourself, what would I do or say if if I had no fear of the consequences? That's a great question. What would I do or say if I had no fear of the consequences? That was one of my tools. I asked myself that question. What would I do or say if I had no fear of the consequences? And instead of thinking about it, I just said it. I said, well, I would tell him, that he's not welcome here and that he needs to go. And before I thought about what would happen if I said that, I just said it. (laughs) And surprisingly, he just shrugged his shoulders and said, okay, and then walked away. And I tell you what, I was waiting for that punch. I, I just knew he was going to punch me. He never did. He never punched me in the past. But I really thought he was going to do it. I thought that he was that type of person. It turns out all this time that He wasn't that type of person to me. I mean, he hit my mom. He abused my siblings. He was not a nice person. But for some reason, I was spared the physical forms of abuse uh, from him. But it didn't mean I wasn't any less afraid. And uh, standing in that space 
saying what I said and then waiting for the fear to kick in, uh, that was an entirely new experience for me. And the reason I'm mentioning this now is because the next segment I'm going to read an email that has to do with having a fear of the consequence of your behavior. You know, even something simple as walking into a room and having social anxiety. Like, why am I afraid of these people? I mean, maybe you know, maybe I don't want to be judged, maybe this, maybe that. But why not do the behavior that you're afraid of anyway? That is a careless statement to make, I know, (laughs) because you have to pick your battles. You can't do it in front of everyone uh, because somebody might be dangerous. But I think a lot of the situations in life that bring about this fear inside of us, the fear is often unjustified. I mean, we have a justification for it, but when it really plays out, when you actually, I hate to say it this way, test it, when you actually test it like I did at the door when my stepfather showed up, I found out that everything I imagined would happen didn't. In that one moment of me facing my own fear and walking into that challenge and applying what I knew and saying things before the fear of the consequences kicked in shaped my entire future from that point on. It really made me realize that our imagined fears are just that, I mean, for the most part. But I've tested these over and over again from before that point, like I think I started testing my fears in 2009 or so. From 2009 to now 2018, for nine years, whenever a fear kicks in, I challenge my fear, I test it to find out if the imagined outcome actually happens. I mean, imagine all these outcomes that you believe are going to happen, and then you challenge yourself to find out if that outcome will actually happen. Again, I know that's a little bit careless of me to say, but I do believe that more often than not, what we imagine is going to happen isn't really what happens. Sometimes it is, but there's even a step forward from there. Let's just say that the imagined outcome that we believe will happen does happen. How is that a problem? That's a careless question. (laughs) I don't really mean careless, but you know what I mean. The idea that um, you might face a fear and what you fear actually comes true. Uh, He might hurt me. He might do this or she might do that. When that does come true, and your imagined outcome manifests, what do you do then? Well, there is something to doing what you believe to be true for you, doing what is in alignment with your integrity, doing what is in alignment with your character. All of these things have a lot of potency, for lack of a better term, for you. A lot of importance in your life. You know, who am I? at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, who am I? Until someone shows up that alters who I am. That's a really good question, right? Who am I until someone shows up and alters who I am? I like to go on the path of not altering who I am. Now, if I was fearful by myself and that's who I felt I was, then that question may not work for me. I need to work on myself. I need to work on my self-confidence and I need to build a healthy ego. This is my opinion. I believe in building a healthy ego. I need to build my self-esteem and my self-worth. And almost all of my episodes are about exactly that. Building you. Creating a solid, healthy foundation for you 
so that when the challenge arises, you're prepared for the challenge and you actually apply the resources and the tools that you've learned. And then when you make it through the challenge, you have another tool and another resource and another reference that tells you, hey, I did it. I can do it again. So this episode's about the fear that might kick in with the challenges that come up in your life and the imagined outcomes that we come up with to make us not do what we really want to do, to make us not say what we really want to say, and basically to keep us where we are. I don't like that fear can keep us where we are. This is why I encourage challenging yourself to do or say what you want to say if you had no fear of the consequences. Let's talk about this a little bit more when we come back. Welcome back. It's time to read that email I referred to in the last segment, and I'm going to call this person Linda. Linda says, hey, Paul, I love your Overwhelmed Brain podcast. Thank you, Linda. I'd like some advice on something that's been affecting me and the way I interact with people my whole life. I was adopted at birth. I definitely hit the lottery with my parents. They are loving and caring and financially and emotionally stable. I've never felt judged about anything or like I couldn't talk to them. They're my parents. They're amazing. I always knew I was adopted. My parents told me from day one that I had another mommy out there that loved me and wanted what was best for me, but she couldn't take care of me. I've always known. I found out later in life that my uh, biological parents were actually a part of my life until I could start forming memories, showing up for events when I was a child, sitting in the back of the room watching me. I had no idea they were there. About the age of six or seven, I started asking questions about why she gave me up and if she just didn't love me and if there was something wrong with me. So my mom put me in therapy. There, I was diagnosed by a child psychotherapist with ADHD tendencies, but no other mental problems. Just a lot of questions that were hard to answer. And Linda, I'm so glad to hear that you didn't get any more labels because sometimes when we get labels, especially from psychologists and therapists, we can tend to run with those labels and think there's something wrong with us for the rest of our lives. Sometimes it also can be helpful to receive a label. Like, I finally know what's wrong with me. And then we can work with that. But I think at at six years old, if you were diagnosed with, you know, bipolar depression or something, that could have stuck with you. So I'm glad that it wasn't anything too traumatic that you had to go through in therapy. Now, I know that the fact that you believed as a child that maybe your biological mom didn't love you, so she had to give you up, and and we could talk about that for sure, but let's see where your, your letter goes and see what we can do here. Uh, shortly thereafter, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder, so this is, uh, I think, a few years later. In my teens, it got out of control, so I went to the hospital to be treated. Then drug addiction and alcoholism entered my life in my later teens. That started another downward spiral. So now that you have my background, how is it affecting me today? I don't trust people at all. I have people that I like, but none of them I consider close friends. I'm terrified to have friends because of people screwing me over in the past. I don't let anyone in at all. I put on this show. I wear this mask. Everyone thinks I'm happy all the time. People say I wear my emotions on my sleeve, and they can tell when something's wrong, but I'll never talk about it. Why would I? 
I have such a fear of vulnerability around emotions. I experience deep and intense emotions. I'm just terrified of letting anyone know what I'm feeling. I avoid crying at all costs. I have a childhood memory that this stems from, and I know it's a bad thing, but it still happens. I've trained myself to push it all in, shove it all down, put it away, be like a robot. I turn it off when I don't need it. I won't let anyone close to me emotionally, even if the other person expresses interest and a desire to get to know me. I have abandonment issues and a huge fear that everyone, including my long-term partner, is going to leave me. I have overwhelming anxiety that I didn't even really know I had until I went to the doctor with what I thought was a heart attack and it turned out to be a panic attack. It's hard. I focus my mind on the task at hand and ignore self-care. I work myself to death and forget to eat. I bring my work home with me and hardly sleep. Plus, I struggle with insomnia. And I try to fit relaxation in there sometimes, which is why I started listening to your podcasts, and I really love them. Hoping you can give me some feedback on why I know where all of my issues stem from, but they're still affecting how I interact with people and my interpersonal relationships. I thought I moved on from the past, but it's still affecting me. And I guess that means I really haven't accepted and let go of the past. Or perhaps it's just a life pattern that I'm going to have to realize and break the cycle. I don't know. What do you think? Thanks for your time. Okay, Linda, thanks so much. Thanks for sharing that with me. And, um, you know, I get letters like this and they're very open and they're very vulnerable. And I wonder uh, if people that write to me and express all of this stuff have anyone else to express it to in their life. For example, your best girlfriend, Linda, have you shared all of this with her? And if so, are you able to, I mean, I sense a vulnerability in this letter to me. You're just sharing with a stranger over the internet uh, through email, and you're just saying all this stuff as if you have uh, no fear sharing it. I'm not sure if you do or not. That's something I can't tell. But I get letters like this that are very open, very vulnerable, and say things that uh, can connect uh, with a past hurt, a past trauma. You mentioned abandonment and stuff. And some of this is, you know, at the higher level, like I have an abandonment issue. That can be something you might be able to say to people. But uh, what's the next step beyond that? For example, let's talk about abandonment. What's the next step past that? Like if you said to your best friend, I have an abandonment issue. She might say, oh, why do you have that? You know, has somebody abandoned you in the past? And you might go, well, duh, I was adopted. <laughs> or uh, I've had these relationships where I was fully invested in and they left me. So that made me feel like um, I was being rejected and unlovable. And all these things can stem from that. So you carry these, this fear into your other relationships, into your life, and you start closing off from the world and um, not really allowing yourself to experience the full breadth of human emotion and the human experience, which, yes, does contain pain, does contain challenges, does contain unstable people, unsavory people, also lovable people. I mean, the full breadth of human experience contains everything. And some people are scared of that. Some people don't want to experience some of that everything. What I've learned is that the more I experience, the more I experience. So the more I allow into my life, the more vulnerable I become, then the more of the human emotional experience I get to have. Yes, that includes pain. 
Yes, that includes the idea that if I get into a relationship, that person can leave me, just like everyone else has left me. Every relationship I've had, except for one when I was really young, the woman in my life left me. So this is something that I could look at and say, oh, I better not get into another relationship because they'll probably leave me. But then I miss all the good stuff, especially if it does work out and it's long term and it stays that way for, for indefinitely. It's nice to be able to have that experience. Now, that doesn't sound like what you're experiencing. What you're experiencing is the limited version, like the trial version of life. It's like getting software, right? You get a new piece of software and you can install it on your computer for 30 days and you only have limited functionality. I don't know how many people are relating to this now, but this is how software works sometimes is that you can download a trial version and some of the functions will work, but not all of them. Because in order to get all of them, you really have to invest, you know, $500 for the software or however how much it is. And um, if you invest that money, it's a big investment. And you're not sure if you're going to like all the functions. And what if you don't need all the functions? But then if you make the investment and it opens up to you, you might find, wow, this is so much more than I expected. And sometimes it's more than I needed, but now I can do anything. Probably a terrible analogy, but... You get the idea. It's If you invest more of yourself into a relationship, you get more back. You get a lot more back. But it does take risk. That's the scary part. It takes risk to invest in relationships, which means you might have to become vulnerable with someone that you care about in order to get their vulnerability from them. In order for you to feel love and support from someone, you might have to get into a space of love and support for them. Not that you don't do that, but the point is reciprocation usually works by what you give. And if you give love and support, you'll probably get love and support back. But if you give that vulnerable space of fear and say things like, I'm so afraid to tell you this because I don't know what it means. I don't know if you'll see me as a bad person. I don't know if you'll see me as an idiot. I don't know if you'll see me as unlovable, as ugly in so many ways. I don't, I don't want to tell you this. But when you start off that way and share your fear and be in that vulnerable space, the good, healthy people that love you will open up their heart and give you a safe space to share it so that you can be more of you, which allows them to be more of them. Because I've seen relationships, especially in my coaching, where one person is unwilling to open their heart. And because of that, the other person is afraid to give their heart too because they don't see the whole person. They don't know what's underneath the surface. So imagine living a life, maybe you don't have to imagine this, but imagine living a life where you showed 50% of yourself and the other person only sees 50% of you, so they have to interpret the other 50% and figure out what is that other 50%. Is it good? Is it healthy? Or is it toxic? I don't know. So in order to be safe with a person that only shows 50%, I'm also only going to show 50%. I do not want to give myself to someone that I can't read. I mean, I'm like that. I don't want to give myself fully to someone that hides behind some sort of emotional armor and is afraid to be vulnerable with me. I mean, that's not entirely true because my girlfriend has a lot of issues from childhood that she has stuck up some defensive walls around. But we talk about it. 
And it's not an issue that we avoid. It actually comes up. We can talk about this stuff. And that's what I appreciate about a relationship, that no matter what, even if there's a defensive wall, even if there's something that she's blocking or I'm blocking and that we don't want to talk about, we still talk about it. We still bring it up for discussion. And that makes it easier. And that makes our relationship strengthen. It strengthens the bond. It continues to allow us to open up in small and big ways so that we can be even more connected, more bonded. But sometimes it takes time. I mean, I've been with my girlfriend for going on four or five years now, and it it has taken a lot of time for her to develop trust in me. And I don't believe I showed up as an untrustworthy person. But what's funny is that I had an issue with trust, you know, um, not being trusted in my previous relationships. And I decided not to make that an issue anymore and work on it and heal from it. Um, I'm not sure if I'm fully healed. <laughs> we'll see. But um, in this relationship, when uh, she has not been able to trust me, I have been able to talk about that and um, how it affects me and how it affects the relationship because I believe you have to have trust in a relationship. How do you have trust? You have to be vulnerable. You have to give more of yourself so that your partner sees more of you. I mean, this works with almost any relationship. It doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. So if you are with someone that you show more of yourself, even the bad stuff, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, then they get to see the whole you and then they get to decide. They're empowered to choose to continue the relationship with you or not. Now, what fear you're talking about, especially with the abandonment issue, is that if I show my best friend or my long-term partner my real self, my true self, or anyone for that matter, they won't like what they see and they'll leave me. Therefore, I won't show them you know, what's under the surface here. I won't show them anything past this mask I'm wearing. If I don't show them, then they won't leave. And if you say that to yourself, I also want you to follow it up with, and if I don't show them, they won't love me as deeply as I want to be in love. I mean, that may not be exactly how you feel, but I want you to know that there's some truth to that, a lot of truth to it. If I do not show my fully authentic, good, bad, and ugly self, everything about me, my imperfections, my concerns, my fears, my shames, my guilt, my embarrassments, everything, if I'm afraid to show that, the less I show of that, the less they'll open up to me and feel like they can be trusting with me and trusted by me, the, the more they feel bonded to me. Because what happens is that you start to share more of your secure space inside of you. I mean, you know what I mean, right? It's like if you tell someone a secret and then they tell you a secret, it's like you have this special bond that no one else can penetrate and you feel really good together because you're sharing something deeper than anyone else knows. That's what I see with relationships that work well, is that one partner will share something that they are so worried about and they're afraid to tell their partner because their partner might judge them and might leave them, but they tell them anyway. And when they get through it and they talk about it, their bond strengthens. Now, it, yes, it does work in the opposite way too. You can tell your partner something and they may not be able to handle it. And they may not be able to stay in the relationship with you, which brings up the fear. I mean, this is the imagined outcome I was talking about in the last segment. 
you have this um, imagined outcome that they will leave you if you tell your partner or anyone something that you know they will feel uncomfortable with. But with every expression of your authentic self, there is a risk, but the risk always leads to a great reward, even if they don't want to be with you anymore. That's like the hardest thing to accept is that, for example, if I share something with you on this show that you don't like, like, I can't believe you said that to your stepfather. I can't believe you treated your wife that way. I used to emotionally abuse my wife. I can look at that now because I've healed from a lot of this stuff and grown beyond it, but that's what I did. And anyone listening now can go, I can't believe you did that. I can't listen to someone who, who ever did that just to another human being. And I could lose that person as a listener, as a friend. And I'm okay with that, not because I want to lose them, but because I only want to be with people that support my growth. I only want to be near people and be connected to people that support me in a, a loving, respectful way that shows me that they care more about who I am today than my behaviors from the past. Like, if I still did it, it would be a different story. If I sat here and told you that I mistreat my girlfriend all the time, you probably wouldn't like me. You probably wouldn't want to be associated with me. But because I believe I'm learning and growing all the time, the people that support that are the ones that I want to be closest to. I, I want people to support my healing and growth. But they won't know I'm healing and growing unless I don't share it, which is what I'm talking about as far as vulnerability. If you don't share what you go through with other people, especially the closest people, the ones that you really want to develop a strong, trusting bond with, if you don't share this stuff, they won't see it. They won't know you're growing. They'll just think that you're always the same and they have to accept you for who you are. And a lot of it is what they interpret of who you are, especially if you're not showing your more authentic self. It's that 50%, right? That 50% that you don't want to show because you're afraid of what they'll do or say. But the greatest relationships stem from sharing something that's hard to share, that you absolutely don't want to share, and then you get through it. Because then it's like that feeling of sharing a secret. I know I don't want to put it that way because I don't want you to believe that you have to carry these secrets around and only share it with certain people. Although that is true to a certain extent. I just want you to understand the feeling of sharing a secret with your best friend. Now you know something and you're really bonded. That, that's that kind of feeling. It's a really close, secure feeling that you trust him or her and they trust you. And a romantic relationship can be that way. Because I believe it's healthy to show your good and your bad. I don't like to call it that, but let's just call it that. It's good and bad sides. And you have your good habits and your bad habits. You have your quirks and you have your nuances and everything about you. And the more you show people that, the closer they feel they can get to you. Now, there's a lot that you shared in your message that absolutely could affect and probably are affecting your life today. You know, it's easy for me to be here and just say, all you need to do is this. However, you have a real, you have real fears that come up. So sure, you could say, I have a fear of abandonment because I was abandoned as a child by my real mother. However, you also have parents that love you that seem to be a very healthy support system when you were younger. Could you have developed abandonment issues because your parents told you that you had another mommy out there? Uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, is that what's affecting you today? I don't know. 
However, you did say something. You had one line in, in your message that really stuck out to me. You said, I have a childhood memory that this stems from when you were talking about um, uh, being terrified of letting anyone know what you're feeling. You said you avoid crying at all costs. I have a childhood memory that this stems from, and I know it's a bad thing, but it still happens. And you said, I've trained myself to push it all in, shove it all down, and put it away. So whatever this childhood memory is, I want you to imagine if you didn't have this particular memory. Well, I'm not saying that you eliminate it, but let's just say that what happened didn't happen. Let's just say that you were allowed to cry and let it all out and let people know what you're feeling. And they welcomed it and, and just said, that's right, just let it just let it come out. What, are, what else are you feeling? What else are you feeling? They gave you that safe space to express yourself. Let's just say that happened. Do you think if that happened at this time in your life when you were a child, that your life would have changed from that point on? Do you think that your relationships would be better? Do you think you'd be uh, closer to people? Do you think that one incident really changed how your life panned out? Because if the answer is yes, and I have a feeling there's some yes in there, but if the answer is a yes, that one childhood memory that your fear of letting letting anyone know what you feel stems from is probably what needs to be expressed first. And this means even if you know that your abandonment issues come from being adopted and your other issues come from other areas of your life, this one thing could have a cascading effect across all the other issues in your life. Because imagine being able to do this just like you shared with me in this email. And I don't know if you are really fully deeply connected to the deepest parts of you in the email probably not maybe so i don't know but imagine being able to be fully connected and share your vulnerable moments and your vulnerable history like i would like you to write back to me and tell me what that childhood memory was that's a big ask <laughs> i know it is but if you were able to just write about it and and let it out and you know, I've heard people tell me that uh, when they were young and they were crying, their mom or dad said, don't cry, that's for babies. So they stuffed it away. They decided to repress all their negative emotions, all their crying. And from that point on, they withheld who they were. They withheld their authentic feelings. And it, when that happens, you go through life with emotional armor on because you're not going to show anyone your vulnerabilities because if you show someone your vulnerability... You have this childlike reaction that you're going to get yelled at or put down or something. So where I go with this, if I were you, I think the first question I'd ask myself is what is the most negative, impactful memory I have as a child? What's the first thing that comes up? Because that first thing that comes up, that's what I would work on. That's what I would start working on healing, working on releasing, working on processing, work, working on healing, working on releasing, because that is probably something that is very big in your life. And if you've decided to repress that or not deal with it and just figure out the rest of your life without dealing with that one issue, you may be setting yourself up. You may be sabotaging yourself because that one issue probably stems into all the other issues in some way. Now, usually the way I deal with a childhood issue is that I, um, I do something called an inner child visit where I visit myself as a child 
from the resourceful adult that I am today. Now, you may not feel like a resourceful adult, uh, and that could be challenging, but in your mind, you can be. And I've talked about the inner child visitation process before in another episode. Um, If you hadn't heard that or you want to hear it, uh, I think you can find it on my website. Just look for inner child in the search field at theoverwhelmedbrain.com, or you can write to me and I'll let you know which episodes I talk about it. Uh, But the idea is to remember a time when you needed a lot of love, support, and nurturing as a child. If you remember that time, like I said, that most negative, impactful moment, then you yourself as today in your mind's eye visit that child as if you were there too, or at least with her by yourselves in a room where you could give her exactly what she needs. And another way to approach that is when you become fearful today, when a fear comes up, what age do you think this fear started? That's a good question to ask yourself is what age did this fear start? If you walk into a room and you have social anxiety, just ask yourself, what age did this fear start? Or around what time in your childhood? Around what time in your past? What period of time in your past? So that you have a starting point. And then you can ask yourself a question, was there ever a time before that that I felt this way or that it could have started? And you can keep going back in time in that way to know where to start. Because you can look at all the challenges that you have today and try to work on what's happening today by changing behavior, which I'm a full proponent of. Uh, Or you can also look in your past and go, what do I need to heal back then? What did my mom say to me? What did my dad say to me? What did did I think about learning that I had another mommy out there, for example? What does that make me feel like? Do I have any anger towards that other mommy? Do I have any sadness? I mean, if there's still stuff lingering inside of you, which it may be, then it may not only be an inner child process where you go back and give yourself what you need, but it could also be visiting that person in your mind's eye. Some people don't like the idea that you visit someone in your mind and that's going to solve everything. And it's not designed to do that. What What it's designed to do is help you connect some dots in your mind. For example, if you never got to say what you really wanted to say to your biological mom, what would you say? And you actually go through the process in your mind. You get in your car, you drive to her home, you knock on the door, you go through every step of the process. She answers the door. Maybe she doesn't recognize you. Maybe she does. And then you say what you want to say. Maybe she invites you in. Maybe she yells at you. Maybe you yell at her. Whatever happens, happens in your mind because your mind's looking for closure. Your mind is looking for some ending to this never-ending question or never-ending saga that continues that when you finally get to the end, and you may have to imagine it happening, you reach a point of closure so that you can move on from it. That's why it's great to be able to heal some stuff from childhood so that you don't continue carrying it around. And if you can visit yourself and nurture yourself, give that child all the resources they need so that they feel loved and supported, then what happens is that change that you made in your mind's eye from the past affects today and affects the future. It's really strange how it works, but because it's closure, you close the door of thinking about it anymore. And imagine what that's like. What would it be like if you didn't think about this past childhood memory? 
What would life be like? What would life be like if you didn't spend all your time obsessing about this memory or that memory or that trauma or that abuse? What would life be like if you had all that extra time available? That's what happens when you are able to resolve some of this stuff, which does take work. And some of these steps that I'm telling you today can be part of this process. Of course, therapy, of course, coaching, of course, meditation and everything else that allows you to visit and break apart the grip that this challenge has on you. This is all part of the journey, all part of the process. But I think the main point is not to avoid what you believe is the origin of a lot of challenges in your life, or at least this, even this one challenge of not being able to express yourself fully. Now, where I go with that, if you've visited your childhood multiple times and you still can't get past it, is something I mentioned in the last episode, which is actually facing your fear, is actually stepping into what you really want to say or do without fear of the consequences. How do you do that? You ask yourself, what would I do or say if I had no fear of the consequences? This will give you truth. This will allow you to come up with what you'd really want to say or do. It doesn't mean you'd automatically do it because you still have this fear that might be uh, prevalent in you. But at least you understand what you think and what you'd do if you didn't have this fear. Now, the more you do this, the more you give yourself time, this delay between what you want to do and the fear that stops you from doing it. There's a space in between that. What I want to do and the fear that stops me from doing it, what's in between? In between is the question, what would I do or say if I had no fear of the consequences? And giving yourself that space makes fear a less automatic response. See how that works? It's the sequence. The first step in the sequence is something that triggers you. I have something coming up in me and I want to express it. And the next step is, but there's a fear. If I express it, this person will judge me, not like me, leave me. All these things can happen. And that process actually has multiple steps. But let's take it from step one. Oh, there's a trigger. I want to express something, but I don't. Step two, instead of, but this fear, you can ask yourself, if I had no fear of the consequences, what would I do or say? That's your step two. And then your step three can be, but this fear stops me. However, you prolong the delay in step two so that the fear that stops you gets further and further down the line, giving you more time to actually make the decision to take action. This is a great sequence. If you can break apart your current sequence, which I know you can, it's possible, I've done it. You ask yourself that question and then one day you'll jump on it. Now, who do you jump on it with? You jump on the idea of saying or doing what's really on your mind, not out of the blue necessarily. I like to do a buildup process of, I really want to say something, but I'm afraid to say it. But with smaller things, and I've said this on the show before, but uh, you know, your friends are going out to a movie and you don't want to see the movie, but you want to be with your friends, but the movie is not your style. You don't want to see it. And you decide that, well, I normally say yes, just because of whatever, peer pressure, or I just want to be with my friends no matter what, or you have an opportunity to practice honoring yourself and saying, no, I'm going to stick this one out because there might be some judgments behind that. You might feel like if I say no, they may not like me. I mean, that's the old people pleaser that might come out of you. If I say no this, if I say no that, 
Um, so this is just a minor example, but this helps you practice honoring yourself, honoring your boundaries, and saying things that you might have a fear of saying. And this helps reinforce that it's okay to say these things. Now, if your friends come back and say, what? What's your problem? You're a party pooper. Geez, you're a real downer. Uh, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. And then you have to question who your friends are because if they're not honoring you, honoring your path, then that's something that needs to be addressed as well. Because if you're choosing people that don't honor you honoring your path, then no wonder you're afraid to share with them. This is just something to keep in mind. The people that honor you honoring your path are going to be the safe people that you feel secure in sharing and expressing with. Because if you have none of those people around you, then your reality is going to look like one big unsafe world. And living in that world, of course you're going to have fear. Of course you're going to have social anxiety. And it could come down to the people that you've chosen to be uh, in the closest relationships with. So yes, this process could start to eliminate people. It doesn't always, but sometimes it happens because you find out that some of the people aren't really there to support you in a healthy way. You think they are, and they think they are, but if they're putting you down for honoring yourself, you, you have to question that. That's just not the best way to have any type of relationship. Now, I mentioned something in the last segment that I, I want to address here and now, and it's not going to be a popular path. The unpopular path is to have a fear and accept that what you fear could actually come true and do it anyway. I know it's not a popular path, but I've chosen to do this in my life with most things. Not everything, but with most things. And what you find out is that all these imagined outcomes aren't true. Some of them, one or two, may show up as true, but the majority of them, again, I've tested this for nine years, the majority of them, not true. <laughs> They're just not true. You think someone's going to hate you if you say something, and they may at first, they may have this negative reaction, but then because you were so honest, because you were so vulnerable, good, healthy people come back and want to maintain a relationship with honest, vulnerable people. That's how this works. It, when you want to develop really strong, healthy relationships, it can be very helpful for you to allow the deeper stuff to come up. Again, you practice with safe people, but I've developed a lot more stronger bonds with people because I've let this stuff come up from expressing for whatever's going on inside of you. What is that fear about? And I'm going to give you some questions you can ask yourself because it's, it's so important to understand what you really fear. Because if you told me that, well, I fear expressing myself because when I was younger, my dad said, don't cry and don't show anyone that you're weak and don't, you know, be vulnerable or whatever he said. Uh, I fear doing it because of that. I would probably challenge that and say, okay, you know, why do you fear that? Well, you know, I thought, you know, my dad was the authority and I thought maybe he would hit me or maybe, I don't know, I thought he would yell at me. And then I would ask, okay, why were you afraid of getting hit? Well, I was afraid of getting hit because uh, it would hurt. And then I would ask, well, how is that a problem? Why were you afraid of getting hurt? You know, I would challenge you in ways that were annoying. <laughs> I know. And maybe a little insulting. I know. 
But I want you to visit these areas in your mind and drill down into your fears and until you uncover something that's almost, I've heard people call it nonverbal, like you can't even come up with an answer. Well, if he hits me and it hurts, I don't like being hurt. Why not? I mean, well, what do you mean why not? I don't like being hurt because uh, it's painful and I don't like pain and being in pain is uncomfortable. Okay, so how is it a problem to be uncomfortable? And, and you go, I don't like being uncomfortable. And I would say, yeah, but how is it a problem? Well, pain hurts. <laughs> and I would say, yes, pain hurts and it goes away. So how is it a problem? Well, I, I don't want to feel the pain. And eventually you'll get to the point where you can't come up with any deeper answers. But there is a deeper answer. There's always a deeper answer. And if you really explore it and get what's underneath the deepest answers that you can come up with, you're going to come up with something else. Well, if I'm in pain, then I'll feel like I'm not worthy. And then I'll ask, whoa, what's that about? You'll feel unworthy. And you'll go, yeah. And maybe you'll say, yeah, I, I, I want to feel worthy. I want to show my parents that I'm a good person. I want, to sh I want to know that I'm lovable. And I'll ask you about being lovable. And I'll even ask you, how is not being lovable a problem? You just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. So this is all about uh, drilling down. I call it drilling down. Drilling down into the fears and the worries and the sadness and the concerns and the anger and the upset. Anything, quote, negative you feel. This is where you can take that biggest negative impactful memory that you have and explore it. What are the emotions around it? Well, I have anger. Well, I have fear. Well, I have hatred. Well, I have this. Okay, let's dive into that. What do you fear? And this is where the questioning starts and drilling down. What is it? What do you fear? What, do you, what are you upset about? Um, what are you sad about? That's the first question. The second question is uh, something along the lines of how is that a problem? And or why does that make you blank? Why does that make you upset? Why does that make you afraid? Why does that make you angry? And a follow-up question almost always is how is that a problem? How is that a problem in my life? How is that bad? That's another one. How is my dad wanting to hit me bad? And then when you come up with an answer, well, I don't want to be hurt. Well, how is being hurt bad? How is being hurt a problem? How is that an issue in your life? There's another question. How is that an issue in my life? Well, it's an issue because, and you'll come up with an answer. Another good way to word it is how specifically is that a problem? This helps you dive into more specifics. Or you can change up the wording a little bit and see if you come up with a different answer, like what specifically makes that a problem? What specifically makes that a bad thing? And then when you get to some deeper level space, like uh, I don't want to feel pain because that means they don't love me. Okay, that could be another layer of what's going on here. How is not being loved a problem? How is that a bad thing? And you keep digging underneath until you get to that space of, I, I, I don't even know, it's just a feeling now. I, I don't even know. But whenever you feel like you want to say, that's a stupid question. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants this. Everyone. As soon as you say something like that, that's where you usually stop drilling in. And that's where you need to keep drilling in. So as soon as that comes up, that's a stupid question. I don't even have to go any further than that. That's when you drill in even more. And here are a few more questions to ask yourself throughout this process. Why do I care? Or why do I care about that? Why do I think that's a problem? Why do I think that's a bad thing? Where does that come from? 
There's another question. Where does that come from? Well, I feel like they won't love me. Oh, yeah, where does that thought come from? So that's another one. Where does that come from? Another good question is, what about that is a problem? What about that is bad? That kind of helps you look at it from a sideline point of view. Another question is, who taught me that? Who taught me that? Who taught me that when someone yells at me, it means I'm unlovable? Who taught me that? Where did that come from? And there's more you can probably come up with. Now, there's also the positive side of this, which is, what can I learn from that? That's a great question. What can I learn from that? What is the opposite of that? If I feel fear, what is the opposite of that fear? And then you can ask yourself, um, what would it be like to feel like that? You know, the opposite. What would need to happen in order for me to feel like that? There's a path to a resource right there. What would need to happen in order to feel confident in myself so that I could say anything or do anything I need? What would need to happen in my life for me to reach that place? And of course, the, the question I already asked, which is, if I had no fear of the consequences, what would I do or say then? How about even going into the past and applying that question? If I had no fear of the consequences then, what would I do or say? And you might want to imagine that happening step by step. You know, you do this stuff in your mind, it helps your mind reach closure. It's a great path to at least try. Now I'm going to give you, your letter is multifaceted. I could really go in a lot of different, different directions with it. Uh, but I want to give you at least another resource for you to try on. It's a little strange. But, well, it could make a big difference. So uh, this is something I learned. A lot of this stuff is stuff I learned in NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. But um, one of the tricks I learned is um, seeing a powerful version of you somewhere else, like 20 feet away from you or 50 feet away from you. See, You see this powerful version of you, the opposite of the fears, the opposite of the anger, the opposite of the sadness, everything you want to feel. You might want to see this person in front of you as the person who does not fear the consequences and is able to do and say anything that they want. They're able to honor themselves and stay in alignment with their boundaries and stay in alignment with their integrity and their character and do anything they want. And you look at that person and go, whoa, that is somebody I want to be. So you see that person over there and you yourself, well, let's just say you're sitting in a chair. And that person is like 50 feet away and you can actually see them in interactions with people the way you want to behave, the way you want to respond to, to the world. You see them come up to a challenging person, somebody that you've had a challenge with, and they're able to tackle that challenge with ease and handle that communication with ease and take care of themselves and honor themselves, like I said, and really get through the conversation in a successful way. You see it happening and you just go, whoa, I really want to be that person. I really want those skills. I really admire and respect the way that person handles themselves. And so that person starts to walk towards you. They were 50 feet. Now they're 45 feet. And then someone else that's a challenge in your life comes up to that person. And that person that you want to be can handle him or herself easily and effortlessly and you think to yourself, wow, I cannot believe how easy that person handled that challenging, toxic person that I always have trouble with. And now that person that you want to be comes closer, 40 feet, 35 feet, 30 feet, walking towards you, 20 feet, really near you now, 10 feet. 
and you're looking up into this person's eyes and you can just see everything that you want to be right there, able to tackle any challenge, anything that comes along. That person gets closer, five feet, four, three, two, and then that person just sits in the same chair that you're in and you take this person in and integrate it into your body and mind, your very soul, until you integrate all of those resources at the subconscious level, bringing that person into you fully so you become that person. That can be a huge shifting experience if you really followed through with this. And if you haven't, replay this part and do it because it can be very powerful. There is an integration that can take place when you follow through with this. You see that person that you want to be and they integrate with you. They just occupy the same space until you are the same person. And then you can look out into the future and see all of those challenges that you know you'll have to face, but in a different way. And being able to face those challenges in that different way gives you the tools you need to get through almost anything. Linda, I want to thank you for writing. I want to thank you for all of this. There's so much more that I could probably cover that I'm sure you want to know the answers to. Keep listening. Listen to the older shows. A lot of this is foundational stuff that once you develop this stronger foundation in you so that you can show up as the person you really want to be, what I like to look at as someone who can be completely vulnerable and strong. I love that. When you're vulnerable and your strength is because you're vulnerable, I love being able to show up in the world like that. That's what I want for you too. Thank you again. We'll be right back with some thank yous and I'll finish the show after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Asha at GetOutOfTheMess.com. If you want to connect with her and find out if this service is right for you and you're in the U.S. or Canada, go to GetOutOfTheMess.com or call her at 678-355-8777. And I want to thank the following iTunes reviewers. Dea Dea, I think, Stevie A, and Hopeless Forever. There's a name for you. <laughs> They all gave glowing reviews of the show on iTunes, and I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you found the show and that you find value in it and uh, it's helping you out. So thank you to anyone who's left a review in iTunes. And I want to thank the patron members for supporting the show over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. If you're receiving value from this show, if your life is changing, if the sea has parted and you're on your way to a better life... <laughs> And a part of you has this show to thank. Go over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and become a supporter. Or you can go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on the Amazon button every time you shop. That's a great way to support the show too. Amazon gives us pennies on the dollar for every purchase you make. And every penny counts. And I want to thank existing patron members. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you. And if you find yourself in a difficult relationship and you don't know why it's so difficult... Perhaps you're experiencing emotional abuse. My broad definition of emotional abuse is when someone says or does things in a way to cause you to feel bad about yourself. For example, if I said, you are a terrible driver, 
I might mean that, <laughs> honestly. I might actually think your driving is horrible, but is that emotional abuse? Well, it can be, but by itself, maybe not. However, if I said, your driving is terrible, which means you don't care about me because if you did, you'd drive more safely. Now we're getting closer to what might be considered emotional abuse. Why? Because you're a terrible driver outlines your driving. But if I said your driving is terrible, which means you don't care about me, that makes you question yourself. That forces you to go in and go, wow, am I doing things to hurt the person? Am I doing things because I don't care about the person? Whenever someone causes you to question your own words and actions, you have to be really careful around them because they're likely to be highly influential people that can make you think things are true. And this is often a component of emotional abuse. If someone can make you start distrusting yourself and questioning your own decisions in life, you might be in an emotionally abusive situation. And if you're told that you're the blame for most of the relationship issues more often than not, or all the time, well, I could go on. There are literally hundreds of signs of emotional abuse, and one of them by itself doesn't necessarily make an emotionally abusive relationship, but several of them that happen over and over again. Now that's when you have to start questioning what's going on. If you want to learn if your relationship is experiencing manipulation or emotional abuse, get your assessment at loveandabuse.com. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. Now, in this episode, I gave you a lot of uh, questions, or at least near the end I did. Uh, questions to ask yourself, no matter what situation you're in, whether you're in, what do they call her, Linda? <laughs> Someone who wrote the email today, I think I called her Linda. Uh, if you're in that situation or you're in another situation, I like drilling in, drilling down, trying to figure out exactly why I feel the way I do. Even an emotional trigger that I know why I'm triggered. I mean, you know why you're triggered, right? Someone does something or says something that sets you off. So there's, the, there's that trigger. And you know why you're set off because X, Y, Z. Because you told them not to do it again. Because you know that they know it, it upsets you, yet they still did it. There's all kinds of reasons that something could upset you. But it's good to know inside at the deepest level, as, as deep as you can dig, exactly why it upsets you so much. Yes, there's the surface level thought of, well, of course it upsets me. It would upset anyone. Well, of course I want to be listened to. I want to be heard. I want to feel important. I want to feel worthy. There's all of these basic principles of life that we think that we want. You know, we want to be loved. We want to feel worthy. We want to feel important to someone else. And when that doesn't happen and we feel the opposite because something is happening because we're triggered because they do something that triggers us or whatever, then what's behind that? I mean, why do you need to feel worthy? Why do you need to feel important? What would happen if you didn't feel worthy? What would happen if someone saw you as worth less? I mean, you know these answers right off the bat, but what's underneath those answers? What is really driving those needs and those wants and those desires? Because once you dig in even further, you know, drill down even further, you find out things about yourself that maybe you never thought of. Maybe you never thought of why it's important to feel accepted by someone else. You just knew it was true. You just knew you wanted to be accepted. But why is that so important? 
I went through this exercise myself. I would go through a process of saying, well, how is that so bad? Well, because I you know, could lose my job. Well, how is that so bad? Well, because if I lost my job, I have no money. Well, how is that so bad? And, you know, I would frustrate myself going through this, but I really wanted to know. Why are these things so, quote, bad? Why are they such a problem? Why do I care? <laughs> and that's a great question to ask yourself. Why do I care about it? Well, if I don't have a job, then I have no money, then I have no food, then I have no place to live. Yeah, but why do you care? And you challenge yourself in these, in these ways. I love the idea of challenging myself, even if I can't come up with an answer. Only because I don't like stopping at a point where there's nowhere else to go. Well, I don't want to lose my job, so I'll just stop there and I'll continue showing up and being disrespected by my boss and getting underpaid and doing all this other stuff just so I have some money coming in every week. And I don't like that feeling. I don't like the idea that I have to settle. I don't want you to have to settle. I want you to be able to drill down into these things and understand the deeper reasons that you do things. Like even asking yourself, I wonder why I attacked that person. I wonder why I said those things to that person. What was the real reason underneath that? Well, he pissed me off. You know, he made me upset. He said this and he said that and he deserved to be yelled at. Okay, yeah, but what's behind the things I said? Well, I said, you're such an awful person and I hope your wife breaks up with you. You know, you said something that attacked them or insulted them or offended them in some way. I hope this happens to you. And then you can drill into what motivated you to say that. Well, what motivated me to say that is because, you know, he attacked me first. Okay, so how is him attacking you a problem? Well, I don't want to be attacked. Yeah, but how is it a problem? Well, when he attacked me, well, I, I felt disrespected. Ah, okay, so there's one layer down. We just went one layer and we got somewhere. <laughs> and you know, feeling respected might be one of your values. It's important that I feel respected. And he violated one of my values. So this is good for me to know. When I am disrespected, I'm going to feel defensive. I'm going to feel offended. I'm going to maybe attack or insult the other person. So what do I do with that? Do I want to be attacking? Or maybe, uh, maybe I can change how I respond. Maybe if I knew that I felt disrespected, and that was one of my values, that instead of attacking them back, I could say, wow, what you said really felt disrespectful. That really hurt. And then see how they respond. Would they continue attacking you? Or would they go inside and go, oh, I didn't mean to disrespect you. I just meant something else. And sometimes you can get to deeper truths that way. Instead of staying at the surface level thoughts that we have about each other, and continuing an attack and insult mode, uh, just so you can try to understand just by sharing what you're experiencing. And sometimes you don't know what you're experiencing because you stop drilling down. I say drill down. Drill down until you just can't drill anymore. <laughs> Figure out what's under there. Because sometimes you unpack this stuff and what used to trigger you no longer does. And that can be very helpful. And if you still have trouble figuring out what triggers you, just keep an open mind so that you can step into your power. This will help you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are 
amazing.